0: in my I'm finding the quietest these days that the focus remains the focal point of my team. hello and welcome to the rambling runner podcast i'm your host matt chittam and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives today on the show i'm so excited to welcome dr ein bui to the show she is A just a phenomenal runner, a great person, someone who struggled with injuries a lot as a youth runner, a younger runner, I should say, and even as a a college runner. She was a walk on uh, and struggled with running or struggled with injuries while running there. And uh, I'm so excited to talk to her today, not only to talk about her. Progress through that, but now as a doctor of physical therapy, what she's doing to help other people get through similar types of problems. And we also talk about her background, not only as a runner, but um, the kinds of people that she was able to look at as mentors and kind of the untraditional mentors as a person of color and learning about how that affected her as a runner and how we can all think about that as well. And this was just such an uplifting conversation in so many ways. And it was just an honor to have her on this show. Also, Hey, I know what you're thinking. Here comes the fall races are coming. The summer races are already here. Peachtree was just run this morning. So exciting. What are you doing to prepare yourself, not only for the upcoming season, but also for many seasons down the line? At McCurdy Trained, we are here to coach you. The dedicated amateur runner or future dedicated amateur runner who really wants to see what they're made of and what they can possibly do. I would love to be your coach as well. So you can head over to McCurdyTrained.com. That's M-C-K-I-R-D-Y Trained dot com, fill out the online questionnaire, and then Heather or James McCurdy will get in touch with you and figure out who the best coach is for you. And you can also recommend a coach. And I would love to be that person. That is for sure. So let's get into it with Dr. Bowie. Dr. Bowie. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to chat with you. Thank you for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Oh, this is going to be great. First of all, You just ran Grandma's Marathon. This is so exciting. What was it like to get back into the marathon mix?
1: Oh, man, I think it was such a great opportunity to just get out there and race with people again. Um, And, you know, every marathon becomes kind of like a reunion, especially if you've trained in different cities. So it's a reunion to see all of your friends again. Um, And then it's kind of the first big marathon that's happened post-pandemic. So it was interesting to see the logistics of how it's going to be. And I think if the mask rule had not changed on June 15th, it would have been a lot different. But honestly, it was just a a regular marathon with a much smaller field.
0: Gotcha. And when did you decide to do grandmas?
1: Very last minute. um, The race was sold out very quickly. And my friend from New York City who just moved to Minneapolis, she wanted to run a marathon for the first time because she was starting her OBGYN residency and uh, she texted me about eight weeks ago and we went on Facebook and we got these Facebook legal bib transfers. And, you know, like I kind of just my coach and I worked on just staying fit throughout the whole pandemic. So we were ready
0: to go. Oh, that is exciting. Well, for, tell us how, how did it go for you?
1: Um it went well. I think, you know, you can't really complain about running a personal best. I, I ran 302. We really, really, really wanted to run, you know, under three hours, maybe two fifty-five on a good day. Um uh, but you know, when you run a personal best, you can't really complain about it. And um I think we'll we'll expect big things for Chicago.
0: There you go. So how were the conditions? And I say this as someone who <laughs> Boy, was I dragging <laughs> the past the past week! It's been like everywhere else. I feel like a snowman who is melting slowly uh, during the course of a run. Um, even the even the shortest runs now seem, seem to be a little bit of a grind. What were the conditions up there in Minnesota?
1: You know, I think that race can be a hit or miss. That was my first time um, going to Minnesota and um, Duluth in general, and um, I think coming from California. We kind of just think that everything in the Midwest is going to look like Nebraska. And so when I got there, I was like, oh, this is really nice. It's like very green and lush. And um, the weather, the day before the race, it was, I think, probably 85 degrees at like 9 or 10 in the morning. So I barely walked outside. I barely explored Duluth. I was in my hotel all day. And then we got so lucky the next day on race morning. It was it started out at maybe 55 degrees and maybe a high of 65. And then, of course, the next day, it was just rain.
0: Man, the, the running gods were smiling on you guys. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like 45, 50 is like ideal, ideal. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to run a summer marathon, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that.
1: I know. And then I don't know if you're the same way, or maybe in my head, just from my experience, I feel like living on the East Coast, I'm just always prepared for the worst conditions. Like, it's either going to be really windy, it's going to be really hot, it might rain, it might hail, you might have a wind chill. So I've just, I've been prepared for
0: everything. Oh my gosh. I know. So where are you living now?
1: Um, So actually, so I've kind of been all over, but as of last year, I moved back to the Bay Area, specifically Marin County. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Of
0: course. Of course. What a great place to run. Everyone I know (laughs) who lives or has lived in Marin County talks about it just being like a runner's paradise.
1: It really is. You know, it's a runner's paradise for trail runners. Um, So a lot of my training partners actually live in San Francisco, which isn't too bad. Um, I am slowly kind of easing my way into trail running. I signed up for my first trail race this year. Um, and yeah, it's exciting.
0: Oh, that exciting. All right. So let's talk about your running, basically you growing up as a runner. So you're someone who, um, and we'll kind of like give a little cliff notes before we dive into the specifics. So you're someone who was really good in high school, also ran in college. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that because I know it kind of sets the stage for what you've done later, not only in your running career, but also in your professional life as well. So how did you get started in running?
1: Absolutely. So I'm a rambler as well. (laughs) So if I ramble on too long, just just feel free to cut cut me off. (laughs) So I started off um, at a very young age. Um, And I just want to be clear that I did not specialize in running until I got older in high school. And the reason why I say this is because I see so many athletes this, uh, you know, early on that specialize in a specific sport especially a sagittal plane sport, meaning that you're only moving in one direction. That's going to be running, swimming, cycling. Um, And especially for adolescents, as you're growing up, you want to do a variety of sports, basketball, soccer, something that forces the body to move in different planes of motion. Um, My parents didn't really force me into any kind of sport, um, My first love was basketball, and if I hadn't been cut every single year from the basketball team, that's probably what I would have done.
0: That's that's such a unique thing to say. Most people like their love stems from success, so it seems like your love for the game was like in spite of your lack of success. So, what what did you love so much about it?
1: You know, I think it was. I think there was something about you know. Scoring in a basketball game that just makes you feel elated, and I loved that. Um, And I loved playing basketball with my friends. It was it was very much of a team sport. But growing up, you know, I was always very little. I was petite. I had great endurance, but I just didn't really have the athletic ability that some of my friends did. That's how track and field started. (laughs) So I joined. uh, So I started back in like sixth grade. I joined track and field and. I think immediately there was something very special about the track and field community. Um, There were no cuts on the team. So it allowed people to, you know, have room for growth and develop and be comfortable with their skills and be comfortable with failure. There was just no pressure on track and field. Um, You know, it was a diverse group, so different body types. It was welcoming. It was encouraging. And, you know, I've even seen like kids with no friends in middle school and high school join the track team. I walk away with lifelong friends. It's just an incredi- incredibly positive environment. Um, and I joined as a sprinter. And every single year, my distance got longer and longer. And I even remember like my middle school coach trying to find me to go run the mile. And I would just like hide between all of my friends. <laughs>
0: So tell tell me about the coaches there because you the way you describe this team environment and the culture surrounding the program it sounds like a special place obviously that doesn't happen by chance. So tell me about um the people who are organizing that team cuz I know a lot of folks either work in youth sports who listen to this or have kids that work in youth sport or who are in youth sports and want to make sure that they have a positive experience.
1: Yeah. So um my middle school running coach he Um, He was one of the PE instructors and he actually, he was a great runner. I believe he ran professionally for Adidas, but in no way did he, you know, force us to train at a high intense level. It was at that age, it was really just about having fun and building a positive team environment. So showing up for each other at practice, showing up for each other during track meets and just being as encouraging as possible.
0: And in that age group, Things can get judgmental quickly and people can also react to that sort of judgmental uh, feeling. What was it about or what, talk to me about the um, the ability of the team and the members to not like be overly competitive with each other or, you know, feel like they're less than because someone else was doing something like I feel like for that age group, that sort of balance can be tough while also still trying to build up other people.
1: Yeah, I think maybe we had a unique team, because definitely in middle school, it was more about having fun. We weren't that competitive. Our team was awful. We I don't think we won. We probably didn't win any meets. <laughs> so to us, it was just, you know, we ran relays. It was awesome. But like, we didn't win any, no one won big races. So yeah, so like, there wasn't like that kid who was like training on the weekends kind of thing.
0: All right. So you get into high school and the the, the distances keep getting longer. Like, are you still like you're keep moving down the the range from sprinter into middle distance into longer distance?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it kind of it kind of seems like every running is I see my running career as almost like chapters because after middle school, I'm like, okay, running's done. My sisters play tennis. I'm going to join the tennis team. And so I played a whole full season of tennis. And one day at tennis practice, we're running around the track. And the cross-country and track and field coach, um, his name is Jerry Metcalf, he came up to me and he was like, you look more like a runner than you do a tennis player. Like, please try what out. Is that like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But he was like, please try out for my track team in the spring. And I was like, I don't know if you just complimented me or, or insulted <laughs> me, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, so um, that was kind of the end of tennis. I, I joined the track team in the spring um i ran my first mile i still remember it it was my personal best then was 652 which is funny to think that that's kind of like where marathon marathon paces now
0: i know right that is that is pretty wild <laughs> that's for sure um so so that was your fast that was your fastest time that year or was that just like the i mean obviously you ran in college so obviously you 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 got faster quickly
1: Yes, just that year. I mean, I still remember like my first high school practice. Um, It was the first time I ran three miles straight. And I'm sure you can kind of relate to this because I didn't think it was possible to make it three miles without carrying water with you. So (laughs) we were supposed to run to the duck pond and I have like my plastic water bottle with me and I'm like just trying to make it, just trying to survive. And eventually kind of halfway, I realized, oh, you know what? I can do this. I don't really need to carry water to make it.
0: Right. How big I wonder how big this water bottle was. I mean, you're new to running. There's no way this was like one of those like Nathan gear, like conform to your hand with the strap type bottles.
1: No, this was a plastic Dasani bottle. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my god, that is funny. Well, if your coach could see you then and be like, I don't look like a runner anymore, coach, because I'm carrying a Dasani bottle on my three hour on my three mile run.
1: <laughs> yeah, he probably wouldn't recognize me now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun to think back about those memories. Um, so yeah, obviously I did get a lot faster in high school. Um, but you know, I was also injured a lot. I mean, I, I, there's probably maybe only two full seasons that I really competed in. Um, and you know, I had a lot of the common running injuries that I treat today. Um, shin splints, IT band syndrome, post tib tendonitis, Um, And the injury seemed to just set me back every single season. And honestly, like I never even knew what physical therapy was back then. You know, like I, I, we didn't really do any recovery. We didn't do strength work. I had never seen a foam roller in my life until I got to college. I don't, I don't know what it's like for high schoolers these days, but like, that was just not something that I knew of back then. Um, And, you know, kind of, backtracking the reason why you know some people might ask like well why didn't your parents send you to physical therapy when you were injured and well, you know my my family history is really long and I'm, I'm going to go off topic a little bit so just cut me off if I'm rambling but you know for my parents as first generation immigrant family the priority was not sports like the priority was to work hard Go to school and do everything you can to get to college. Um, my, my family history is actually really interesting. So my dad um, was in the Vietnam War. And so after that, he was in a re-education camp for seven years. So he was fighting against the communists. And then once he was out of the re-education camps, that's when he met my mother and um, they had three kids. So I'm the youngest daughter of three. And so in 1993, we immigrated to the United States, you know, kind of typical story, clothes on our back. Um, And, you know, it was was hard for us growing up. We had a lot of financial constraints. My mother had mental illness. So, you know, early on growing up, my sisters and I kind of took on um, more caretaker roles than we probably should have for people our age. And so, you know, basically from my family history, I just developed, you know, this constant um, ability or I guess, desire to work hard. And, you know, because, you know, sports and athletics, it just wasn't a priority for us. Um, My parents didn't really seek the care that I probably needed back then. Like, I don't think they thought running would turn into anything for me.
0: Yeah, would you, considering that as your background, and first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, That's really interesting would you be open with them about your running injuries or would you kind of keep that separate from what was going on at home because it really wasn't a big part of um what they were what they considered priorities
1: oh it was open because i would i would run so hard until i like i could not walk like i was (laughs) i was hobbling around and so (laughs) like you know back then it was just like okay if you're injured. Like you're just gonna rest. You're gonna rest for the whole season. Um and so but you know, like rest doesn't fix anything. That's what we know. Like unless you have a bone-related injury, complete rest is not gonna fix your problems. So to me, I think it was honestly a miracle. Like I feel like I have some kind of guardian angel that I, I made it to UC San Diego and I, I ran in college. I was a walk-on. But you know, because I didn't get that early preventative care that I should have. I was constantly injured in college as well.
0: Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking athletic greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery. Literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to, like, take a pause during the sentence. Uh, But it's it's legit, and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that – Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want there's so many options and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today is $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to every plate plate.com entering code rambling runner one seven nine today that's up to hundred and four dollar value so talk to me about why with you know with hindsight being 2020 and considering your credentials now um, in medicine and we'll talk about the, the various credentials you have because you're you are a remarkable person in so many ways um what do you think were some of the reasons that you got so injured in high school
1: I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, again, I, I wasn't the type of athlete that specialized in endurance sports. So I did play other sports. So I, you know, I did develop my skeletal muscle system properly, but I overdid it. Um, I had a, I would say looking back, I had a very unhealthy relationship with running. That was all me. Um, for me, my mindset back then was you have a bad race that equals go train harder. Um, Like running was my outlet. And so, you know, if there was something that I was frustrated about at home, or with friends, like I would just take it out with running. Um, I didn't know how to run slow. No one really stopped me from self destructing myself back then. Um, And so honestly, I think that was a big reason of why I got injured was I just, I overdid it. And I didn't balance it out with any strength work or recovery.
0: Gotcha. So were you doing like these mammoth sessions or was it more just a like cumulative stress on top of stress, but on top of stress?
1: Yes. Stress on top of stress, on top of stress. And also my easy runs were pretty darn fast. And like, you know, it was, it was kind of like that mindset where I think people can relate to these days where it was like, okay, if I can reproduce it at practice, it's going to happen on race day. Like that's, I needed to prove it to myself. Constantly throughout the season, in order to convince myself that I was going to be good enough at the big meets.
0: And when you were doing these kinds of easy runs, were these solo ventures? Were you running with your team at that point?
1: You know, I think my last two years of high school, I was running mostly solo. We had a very good varsity cross country team uh, my freshman and my sophomore year. But by junior and senior year, I was mostly running by myself or running with the boys cross country team.
0: Oh, okay. So, do you feel like there was like when you were when you were going on these easy runs and like just straight up killing it all the time? Was that um, a product of you just like you know wanting to not only make sure that you were showing yourself that you were capable, and sometimes it's just more fun to run fast. But were like were you running like a lot of it with like with the with the boys and be like, no, I'm just as fast as you, and kind of keeping up with with other people, or or you know, not to say that like they were faster than you, but sometimes when we run in groups, no matter who we're with. There is that kind of like undercurrent of competitiveness that can kind of alter our pacing schedule.
1: I agree. That's a really good point, Matt. I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest.
0: (laughs) So what made you want to run in college? Because it seems like you in high school, you obviously had a lot of positives associated with running, but maybe potentially some negatives as well. And here you are, you're a doctor, I think twice over. So you obviously had big dreams on the on the academic front. And running in college um, or pursuing any sport in college can be very time consuming. So what made you want to do that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So like I, in many ways, I think my, my path with running was very unconventional. So like, you know, these days, a lot of high schoolers, they, they're recruited, they talk to the coaches early, um, or they're recruited at the state meet. I was probably, I'm probably one of the very rare, like collegiate athletes that never ran at the California state meet, because I was always injured. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my dream to run in college. It was just something that I was like, oh, this would be really fun. And I think I, I am fast enough that I can keep up with the team. So I made it my goal, my senior year that summer, I just trained super hard. Uh, Jerry Metcalf, my coach trained me that summer and, um, I made it as a walk-on. It was great. But I don't think anyone actually prepared me for how to handle college running once I made it on the team. Like that was something completely different. I I don't think I even thought that far because I didn't think I would make it.
0: And what do you mean by handling college running?
1: Yeah, just, um, you know, I think there's a lot of struggles that collegiate athletes have to deal with. Um, Things like, you know, running like you belong. I think there was a I had serious imposter syndrome like um, I think you know when you're in high school and you're you're the best you're the best runner like you're the one that wins all the races and like you get all of this attention and appraisal and then you get to college and you're like oh dang I'm like number 15 or 20. <laughs> so it's kind of it's it's just like mentally wrapping your head around that and just not being discouraged.
0: And. Were you going through pre-med coursework at that time?
1: I was. um, Yeah, I was was taking organic chemistry. I was taking all the hard upper division biology classes.
0: All right. So what were your academic slash professional goals at that point as you were progressing through college?
1: Uh, Here I am. I'm very unconventional. So throughout college, I was not pre-med. I was not pre-PT. I thought I wanted to go into research and academia. Um, And so I worked in several research labs. And right when I finished college, I actually started my Ph.D. program in exercise physiology at University of Florida. So most people don't know that, but uh, I am I am a Ph.D. dropout. So (laughs) I did that for one semester. And, you know, the reason was I love I love research. I think it's great. Um, I am passionate about teaching others um, and educating others. But I think working in the research lab just it wasn't it didn't match my personality my strong personality skills and um, working with others so I that lasted for about a semester and then I went I moved back to San Diego I worked in a research lab kind of just in between while I was figuring things out and most people think I chose physical therapy because I was an injured runner and that's not really the case like. Yeah, I was, I'm was. i interested in running injuries, but I was working in a, a research lab that studied neurodegenerative diseases, specifically ALS, and um, we worked with a physician who treated ALS patients, and he had a physical therapist with him, and so I actually shadowed her and saw how she was working with stroke patients, ALS, um, you know, like all neurodegenerative diseases. And seeing that side of physical therapy and how many different settings a physical therapist can be impactful in really actually just um, motivated me to go the physical therapy route.
0: Interesting. All right. Yeah, because that that was going to be one of my questions about whether your experience had led you down that path. So oftentimes when we think about, especially as runners, we think of physical therapists. We think of people who are focused on people who are Doing the stuff that we're doing, right? It's easy to view other people through our own lens. And, you know, so as runners, we say, oh, someone who's a physical therapist most works with people like me who are trying to get back to running or who want to stay healthy as runners. Um, obviously, things can be more varied than that. So, in your travails of what is, you know, becoming a physical therapist, what does, you know, being a physical therapist mean to me and who do I want to work with? How did that change over time?
1: Yeah. So, I, uh, I so I moved to New York City. And, um, so I, I went to Columbia, which was, uh, an awesome program. I can't, I can't praise that program enough. It was, it was a great experience, but while I was there, I got really interested in running again. So there was kind of this phase between, you know, after running college, moving to New York city, joining, you know, central park track club out there and just kind of, um, I don't want to say coming out of retirement, but <laughs> I got really into competitive running again and also being really injured again. Um, and uh, I know you're like rolling your eyes at me. No,
0: no, and- no. I didn't roll your eyes. I kind of like did like a long, like um, I like, closed my eyes like for like a long period of time, a long period of time, like for like a second or two, because I felt that like internally, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this poor, right, this like, poor he, woman. Here it she goes got down, hurt again. Yeah. Here she is trying to do something she loves doing and she gets hurt again. Like I feel so bad.
1: Yeah. And then meanwhile, like, I mean, you know, for me moving out to New York City, I never thought, that it was going to be such um, a strong, powerful running scene. Because I just kind of think like, oh, concrete jungle, like all they have at Central Park, like where are you going to run? But people figure it out. And like the women on Central Park Track Club, the Masters runners, oh my God, they were crushing it. So I was like, okay, well, if they can do it and they're not injured, like there's something I don't know. (laughs) And um, so when I was at Columbia, we had uh, what was called Columbia Run Lab. And it was... A staff, faculty, and student run clinic where we had runners come in um, every Wednesday evening and we we did a whole full on two hour gait assessment. And so that was such a cool running or cool experience just to be able to see how running mechanics can lead or correlate to running injury and how just like very small changes to your running form can cause long term injury prevention.
0: Right, or the other way around.
1: Yeah, other way around, <laughs> which, yeah. which is obviously not what
0: you want to do. So, when you were going through this, how quickly did you become like a, like, like a, you know, patient as one, patient of one in your own studies? In terms of like, you know, we all hear about like the stories of like people going through med school, like thinking they have every disease possible because they're learning about every disease. They're like, oh, I think I have all these symptoms. Um, what was it like for you going through the physical therapy program? as someone who is consistently injured and trying to to not only learn about other people and what's going on with them, but then kind of taking your, your work home with you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, everything you learn, you're like, oh my God, this applies to me. Like they're totally talking about me. <laughs> um, so yes, I understand what you're saying. I did take a lot of that home with me, but also I kind of came to realize with my own running experience and just observing the running scene that you know, they teach you a lot of things in physical therapy school. And they teach you about movement dysfunction because when you graduate, you are a movement expert. Um, And what the research tells you is that if you move a certain way, there's kind of like these normative values that it will reduce your risk of injury. But if you've observed, you know, elite distance runners for a long time, you kind of really see that it's just, it's not one size fits all. So the human body is so variable. And everyone is shaped differently that, you know, you kind of have to just take it for what correlates to your running injury and your running history. And that, you know, not everything, you don't have to fix everything that you, that they tell you is wrong.
0: Right. I can imagine there being like mistakenly like moving the wrong domino and like (laughs) setting off like a whole chain of things that you like maybe with the best of intentions, wanted to, like, help create something positive, but all of a sudden they're being a negative thing because you have, like you said, runners who have such such unique running gates who are running at the highest level. So, obviously, it works for them. Not to say people can't improve, but, like, you know, someone's, like, running, say, at your level, right? Someone who's roughly a three-hour marathon or things are obviously working pretty well. So, how do you or when do you make adjustments to something that's working and do so in a way that um you know, we make sure that you know we're not doing any harm here we're only helping um uh, not only in terms of speed and performance but also in terms of health and injury prevention it just seems like it can be such a fine line like what, what what's the process by which someone who's going through this educational experience learns how to approach that fine line of of, of when to change and what to change and not necessarily creating harm um You know, obviously not on purpose, but just by by changing something that maybe shouldn't have been altered.
1: Yeah, I think um, it it all comes down to what is the runner's goal at the end of the day? Um, Is the goal injury prevention or is it performance enhancement? So, for example, if, you know, a runner comes in with shin splints or a history of um, tibia stress fractures, so one thing that, you know, you'd want to look at is overstriding. Are they landing with their foot far in front of their body? Because that's going to increase ground reaction forces going straight to the tibia. So like in that sense, and if it correlates to, you know, things that we see on table exam or the physical exam, things like, oh, they have a really stiff foot or they have a really stiff ankle, if those findings on the phys- physical exam match with the gait assessment, then I would say, okay, like, let's, let's change your cadence. And I would only change one parameter at a time, just because if you introduce too many different parameters, you're not really going to sure, you're not really going to know for sure what, what works. Um, And I don't, I honestly don't believe that people can change more than two parameters at one time. Um, So I would say as somebody going through the physical therapy program, learning all these things and trying to internalize it, I would. I was just changing one thing at a time. Um, so there were things that I was always conscious about. For example, um, we were sitting eight hours a day in lecture. I had never sat so much in my life. And one day I went to track practice at night at the armory and like I came home and my whole hip was like flared up. And it was honestly because my hip flexors were so tight and I just, I was going from sitting to now, you know, running six minute mile paces and whatnot.
0: Right. Along, along an indoor bank track, nonetheless.
1: Right. Exactly. An indoor bank track. (laughs) Thank you. But yeah, so just kind of realizing that, you know, this is my new life. I'm sitting a lot. I need to stretch my hip flexors and be mindful of that and just strengthen my hips way more than I was doing.
0: Right, and the whole sitting life obviously pertains to so many of us uh, as we've gotten older. And it's interesting because, like, on some level, you're like, "All right, like, I should be pretty rested, right? I've been <laughs> sitting all day." Uh, but it, but it can be it can get tricky to move. That's for sure as we as we progress. Um, so, what made you want to start working with athletes? So you mentioned before you kind of your entree into uh, physical therapy was kind of on the other end of the spectrum. What made you really want to dive in headfirst with working with people like yourself? Um, ultimately as, as a, as a professional,
1: I think it was a natural calling to be honest. Um, like surrounding myself in the running community and having so many people be injured and coming to you for help. Like I just, I naturally just wanted to help them and get them back to running. Um, and so for me, it just, it honestly didn't feel like work. It just felt like something that I was really passionate about and just wanted to do.
0: Oh, I can imagine. All right. So let's talk about your own running because you're going through at that point. This is a lot to have on your plate. However, you obviously, you, you, you are, you enjoy running. This was an outlet for you. You know, you're not going to like start all of a sudden start working with athletes and be like, but I'm no longer going to be an athlete. You want to kind of like have this symbiosis. Um, how did your running evolve, especially in terms of health as you progressed in your own uh, academic health journey?
1: Yeah. So, um, I would say again, like moving to New York city right before that, I had, I had just ran Boston, which was my second marathon. And I was like, cool, great. Like that's, that's, I think that's it for me. Like, that's all I want to do. And then I moved to New York city and I I joined central park track club and I'm like, Oh, everyone here has qualified for Boston. (laughs) And, and like they had bigger goals than that. And, um, I think just being able to see, Kind of like, I think, Lindsay Krause, uh, she wrote a really great article after CIM uh, right before the Olympic trials in 2019. And it was about, like, why not me? Like, so this is a fabulous time for women in sports, because I think distance riding has just reached a new level here, where, like, so many women are qualifying for the Olympic trials. And I think being in that setting and surrounding yourself by people that you want to be like, that was just extremely uplifting. Um, and so at the same time, you know, I was, I moved to New York city and I was ready to kind of close that chapter on running. Like it was going to be all about school. I wanted to be the best physical therapist that I could possibly be. And, um, I don't know. I just, I really loved running and I really loved being with that team and I could kind of, I could I was setting new goals for myself. So, I always made time between running and consistently going to track practice. And, you know, honestly, like there I had really great role models. There were people who were, you know, balancing more difficult lives than I was. Like, I was running with an orthopedic surgeon, I was running with lawyers and people working in finance, people with kids. And I was like, "Okay, you know what? If they can balance their lives, I really have no excuse."
0: That's a great point. I and mean, we think about role models and we often think about like all right if something it's people like us and i I, I mean like a very internal monologue right someone like me if they can do something like this then what's stopping me from doing it right i just had brian green on the podcast last week and who wrote make the leap and he we talk about that uh as that that's that's a unique thing that in terms of it doesn't necessarily provide motivation because that can be temporary, but it's more aspirational of like, I know it's possible because this person has done it. And we think about person like me, that can take a lot of different forms, right? So like you talked about this this moment in time where like for you, person like me, one aspect of that was like a busy professional who I got a lot on my plate. I don't know if running I don't know if I can make running work right now. I just am doing so much. But hold on a second, so are all these other people. Is this really a limiter, right? Or is this just like another hurdle I have to get over to get to that next stage? For so many people, people like me can mean something else. And I think what we've seen in the running community over the last 18 months uh, specifically being addressed is just um, having people that we look up to in terms of, hey, they look like me. In a sense, like, all right, so, um, you know, I loved how like last year we talked about like, the covers of Runner's World, like who was on the cover of Runner's World and what did that mean? And what did that mean not only for people running now, but younger runners or younger potential runners? Did they view themselves as having an entree into the sport because they saw someone who looked like them, whether that's racial, ethnic, gender, what have you, in terms of, all right, they can do it. That's possible for me. When you think back to growing up and, and becoming a runner um, did you have anybody that you looked up to that kind of fit that role or do you look back now and say I wish I had someone who might have fit that role earlier on for me?
1: That's really interest, oh, that's a really great question. Um, I did and I never even thought about it this way. So, when I was a freshman in high school, my older sister's best friend was like the school record holder. And the mile, the two mile, all the distance events, like it wasn't even close between her and number two. And um, her name is Ashley Chan, and she's, she's Asian. <laughs> and the reason I mentioned that too is because growing up all my life, I feel like running has predominantly been a Caucasian sport. That's not always the case, but just for me, it was. Um, so to have, you know, the school record holder be another like small Asian girl That was my role model. Like I, that's what I wanted to run like when I was a senior. And we actually, we trained together quite a bit um, when I would come home between college.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I could, it's it's interesting how you put it like that because it's when you see, I think it was, um, uh, is it Dan Coyle? I think it was one who wrote uh, the talent code and he talked a lot about this and kind of like looking at like a meta analysis of different, different populations and you know, how that they, they kind of came to um, reach the next level of, of uh, athletic performance. And I think one of the ones that he talked about was uh, Seiri Pak being in South Korea and how her emergence on the LPGA tour, like completely revolutionized how, South Korean, you know, at that time, young girls viewed themselves within the context of like, oh, wait, maybe I could play golf like that. Right. So obviously there was a tradition of golf that like led her to play in the first place. It wasn't like it was like zero there, but it definitely elevated it to now like they're like the like the, the preeminent international power. again. You know,
1: what I think is interesting, too, is like I think when you're so young at that age, you don't even realize that someone is your role model because they look like you, you know, like, or look similar to you. Um, That wasn't really a thought process that had occurred to me back then. But also, like, I think it's important to have diverse role models because, you know, and not diverse just in the sense of race, but also diverse in the sense that, you know, at the end of the day, life isn't just about running. Like you're going to go through a lot of career changes. You're going to have kids, like a lot of different struggles throughout life. And I think having different role models um, within your running community that can relate to you and help you through these things is, is equally important. And I think, you know, people think that, you know, being a role model means you have to be fast. That's not necessarily the case. People have more to contribute than they think.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point, because even when I think about some of the people who've had a big impact in my running life, they are people who probably they don't even know it, you know, and it's not like I was necessarily shy to tell them and I probably was on on, to some degree, but it was more of like, oh, after the fact, I realized, wow, when I was watching that person do like their workouts, ahead of my track workouts, like that was really an interesting thing. Or, you know, like I think of a woman who's and here it lives in Rhode Island, who, who's never heard me talk about this. Her name is Felicia Bishop, and she was a couple of years older than me. And we would do track workouts, and she was like, would push me constantly. I was always trying to catch up to her. Or my old cross country coach, Anne Marino, who's like twenty years older than me, would still roast me in track workouts, even when I was like playing college basketball. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. She's still killing it. Um, but I would, I would never express to her those things. So when you are thinking about like, here you are. You're a 302 marathoner, you're doing amazing things, and you're helping a lot of other people um, in this, in the in the running world. When you think to yourself, like, all right, I want to make sure that this community is um open in a way that we're gonna let in anybody who's potentially going to want to join us to feel not only like that they're welcome here, but they can excel here. What are some of the things that you try to keep in mind so that you can kind of set the stage for that without being, you know, too overt, like walking on the street, like, "Hey, you're a runner, <laughs> you're a runner," It's so like walking down the, the sidewalk or something.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know what you're aiming at is how do you how do you be inclusive in the running community, right? Um, I think it also starts with showing up. Keep showing up. Be a regular. Uh, get to know you know the runners around you. Uh, Ask them what their short and their long-term goals are because oftentimes too, I think people set conservative goals and you've probably heard this before, right? Like you should set goals that that scare the crap out of you. And um, I think especially new runners that haven't put themselves in that environment where they're seeing how, how things are done, how goals are accomplished. I think there's a lot of value to just um, being encouraging, you know, just telling them that yeah, like it's it's doable. You just have to be consistent. You just have to be patient, um, and yeah, just get to know your running
0: community. And how do you, because you you also coach people, and you you when you're working with them as a physical therapist, you're coaching them as well, right? It's not just about the physical. There's obviously a strong mental component uh, involved in that. How do you have people embrace those scary stretch goals while also not feeling um, frustrated. I mean, you can stop frustration, but having like the the short term frustration not um, knock them off their path to to achieving a potential long term goal, or feeling like, all right, maybe this just isn't for me, or I have so far to go, or all those feelings that we feel when we're kind of in the doldrums of dealing with um, an extended break.
1: Yeah, I think um, what's interesting is. I think with practicing for the last couple of years, I've kind of realized that physical therapy is just one piece of the puzzle. Like just because a runner goes to physical therapy does not mean that they're going to be injury free. There's so many different pieces to that puzzle, such as are they, you know, doing their strength exercises? What are, like who is creating their running program? Uh, What are they doing for recovery? So in order to kind of build this healthy, resilient athlete, you kind of have to have all those pieces of the puzzle fit together. Um, and so for me as a physical therapist, you know, that's that's why I went on to get certified as a strength and conditioning and running coach was because I realized I can't help this person without having all of those puzzle pieces set in place. And, you know, working with patients, especially the ones that have had surgery, like you, you said you had to have ankle surgery, right after that marathon. Um, you uh,
0: not ankle surgery. No, I, I did have. I did a reconstructive ankle surgery in high, in college. Though. Oh
1: my gosh, that's that's a that's a really tough one.
0: Yeah, that took me that took me a while to come back from. That's for sure.
1: I know, and like you're you're with a patient for like six months, twice a week, once a week, and so you get to know each other really well, and you do go through the ups and downs together. And I think you know, just kind of keeping the, the patient present. So like, let's not jump the gun and think too far ahead. Let's take it one day at a time and like set really small goals. And I, my patients know that I call myself a cheerleader. Like I'm really good at hyping my patients up. Like, you know, if, if you've just, if you got out of the boot, like, yay, like let's start walking. Um, so I think, you know, it's good to have that kind of encouragement when you're going through physical therapy um, and also to have somebody set realistic goals for you and also somebody that's confident in what you're doing and makes you trust the process. You really have to trust your PT and everything that you guys are doing and just be consistent with it. Even if you don't see results, it's just like running, right? Like there's no, I think, but I realized with running is there's no magic workout that you have to hammer or destroy. It's just a cumulative process of being consistent and just keep showing up.
0: It's interesting how you phrase that. It, it sounds as if belief or faith in a matter of speaking is an integral component in, in this, in the physical therapy process.
1: Absolutely. I think trusting the process and believing in, you know, what you're doing every day, knowing why you do it, um, is, is critical to healing. And, uh, actually that's funny that you bring that up because, um, Becky Wade and I, we had, Becky, she interviewed me for the SF Gate last week, and we talked about running injury books. How should people utilize these running running injury prevention books? Like, should it be the gospel? Should you diagnose yourself? And when should you seek professional care? Um, And, you know, what I told her was that, you know, books don't teach you how to diagnose, but it's a great resource to supplement an already established plan of care. So I always, encourage my patients to understand their why. So like you should always know why you're doing an exercise. Always ask questions. Um, And like running injury books are a really great resource for helping you do that.
0: No, absolutely. That's, that's a great point. I can't imagine a lot of people diving into them who aren't currently working on some sort of educational, uh, process like you were. Um, my goodness, I can't even finish books that I'm reading for fun. Never mind things that I'm reading, um, <laughs> for work, but that, no, that, that is a great point. Becky Wade is such a treasure too. And she's been on the show yeah. before and, and what an awesome, an awesome person. Uh, to be in the fly on the wall for, for your guys conversation would be awesome. Um, so you mentioned the importance of, you know, being not, not the importance of it, but how you are like, you know, the hype woman and some of like the, your, your patients lives and your, your athletes lives and how, how important that is beyond just knowing the X's and O's of what to do, but also providing people with the belief and the, the, the mental components that go along with that. So you are that for the people that you work with. How do you bring people into your life that can help do that for you?
1: Right. So, you know, I think one of, especially through the pandemic, um, I'll backtrack a little bit. I was living in Boulder, Colorado um, for two years. I was completing my sports residency out there. So I moved to Boulder, Colorado because I wanted to surround myself by like the cream of the crop endurance athletes. And it was really cool. And honestly, I, I really do believe that it, it helped turn me into the practitioner and the runner that I am. Um, and so you know you need to find yourself um, a supportive environment um, make sure that everyone around you is encouraging supportive positive vibes um, and like honestly that that really does make a big difference in your success um, and also how a patient heals like they need to have those things in place and um, for me like when I moved to Boulder it was it was really tough I had A lot of struggles out there especially going from living in Manhattan to now like the middle of nowhere in the mountains and um, I joined a group out there called Boulder Underground Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it when I was there it was a small group it's coached by Matt Hensley he is the best coach I mean he's probably just transformed my whole running mindset and running career but um, you know we started as a small group and now it's probably doubled in size And that whole, that whole running group is just amazing. Like we have professional athletes to elite, to just people chasing, uh, new marathon goals, but everyone there's extremely supportive. And there were days that I was running there where I just, you know, I think everyone goes through the ups and downs of running and like, even at my lowest low, like, and if I couldn't show up for myself at practice, it was, you know, the culture to show up for other people on the team. And so that's kind of the environment that, you know, I try to provide for my patients and my clients. is just a positive, supportive environment.
0: All right. So let's talk about some injuries that you, you deal with all sorts. What do you say are, say, the two most common ones that you work with patients on?
1: Okay. So the most common ones I see are shin splints and uh, let's see. Runner's knee.
0: All right. So let's talk about those two. Obviously, we're speaking generally here. If you are someone who suffers from these, go talk to someone like I. because you never know what you might need. So we're speaking generally here. But when you have patients that will go first with shin splints and then with runner's knee, what are some of the things that once it's been diagnosed that you are just like the the, the kind of like the baseline principles on how to deal with those injuries or and or prevent them?
1: Yeah, I think... Right off the bat, it's a lot of patient education. Um, so, you know, how is this person training? Um, what was the cause of the injury? And, and a lot of that we collect through the subjective or the history. Um, you know, what is their, what kind of other running injuries have they had in the past? Because that's going to help me identify muscle imbalances that they have going on that's kind of manifested itself into shin splints or runner's knee. And oftentimes, um, that correlates with really weak or unstable hips, or what we call pelvic stability. Um, secondly, I always love to see how a runner moves. So I, I put them through a series of tests. So for example, we'll do like single leg step down. Um, we'll do a squat. And from there, I can kind of see what their habitual movement looks like, and if that correlates to their injury. So for example, somebody with runner's knee, they tend to be very quad dominant, um, meaning that when they squat, their trunk is very upright, their knees are going over their toes, and they're heavily loading the quad muscle. And then when you put them on the treadmill and you have them run, you kind of see the exact same thing. Oftentimes, their running form is very upright, and so they really don't know how to steer from the hips. Um, So that's kind of the order that I generally do things is collect the history, um, put them through a series of uh, functional tests. Um, we do the physical exam, look for decreases in range of motion, any weaknesses in muscle groups, um, get them on the treadmill, see how they move. And then we take it from there.
0: Got it. So we're really trying to address the root cause instead of the malady in the moment. Yes, all right, so just ice, icing your shins is not enough, people. Is that what, we're, is that what you're telling me?
1: <laughs> oh, no, don't ice your shins. Um so <laughs> I remember I, high
0: school, remember, <laughs> I'm sure you remember this, because you had shin splints high school. Did you have like the little like Gatorade cups filled with ice, you rip off the top, and then you kind of rub it up and down your leg?
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, You know, the other thing that's really funny with shin splints too is people have this assumption that it's for novice runners, like mostly for high schoolers, right? And like... When I was 25, I got shin splints again. And I was, I was like wildly just shocked and offended. I was like, oh, no, this is like a, a newbie injury. I love that you were <laughs> offended by the injury. Like,
0: how dare I, you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm, I'm much stronger and faster than I was back then. Like, why am I getting shin splints? And it honestly all came down to the fact that I wasn't doing any strength work.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're the so not only did you have hip and pelvic you know, maybe instability, but then all of a sudden the shins were were taking up the brunt of, not the brunt of, but maybe more force than they should have been carrying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of other things too that can be modified for shin splints, such as, um, well, especially if it's it doesn't manifest itself into a stress fracture, like you should always rule that out first. Um, but otherwise, like, you know, running on soft surface, Changing your shoes. Um, I prefer runners running in a, a cushion shoe, max cushioning. Um, changing your running form, modifying your daily runs, maybe taking a break from running hill sprints for a while.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I can I can imagine all of that being super helpful. I guess the moral of the story is to talk to someone like Ayn who can help diagnose this sort of thing, because oftentimes there can be a variety of different factors. Maybe not just one factor, but it's nice to rule things out as well as know exactly um, what is causing it. But then also, and this is something that I've, you know, shoot, I'm a great test case for this, but like the, the preventative strength work, which does not take a lot of time and can be just so simple. And you look at it like we're not talking about like, Lifting heavy deadlifts, which I'm not saying isn't can't, can't be useful, but this, like the easiest stuff in the world. I'm coming back from knee bursitis, and it's like, wait, this is all I needed to do to, to stop this? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't run for three months because I didn't like do four sets of lunges before I ran. Like, this is this is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, like recovery is such a big part of training. Like, you know, train hard, but recover even harder. So, like, I think where a lot of runners go wrong, too, is, like, you know, not doing the the necessary um, recovery work, like foam rolling, stretching, um, getting regular massages.
0: Got it. What do you think about um, the percussion therapy? So, people, like, are familiar with maybe the names, like the Theraguns of the world and, and those sorts of things. Basically, like, your power drill with the tennis ball at the end <laughs> for all intents and purposes.
1: Let me ask you a question. Do you have one? I do not. Okay. Um, so I I actually love it. Um and it's actually it's best used as a warm-up. So before running, um, I have the I so I have the hyper ice massage gun and I also have the vibrating foam roller. And both of those, what I find is it kind of cuts your regular foam rolling massage time by 50%. So, you know, if you wanna cut down some time in the morning, um uh, get one of those vibrating foam rollers. They work great. They really help bring blood flow to the muscles. Um, They're not, I wouldn't say they're necessary, but they are nice. The other thing I like about the massage gun is if you don't like to get on the floor on like army crawl position and foam roll around, um, you can kind of just sit on the couch and just start using that massage gun and just be effective that way.
0: That does sound a lot nicer. I'm not going to lie. It does have nicer, right? It does, for sure. Um, especially when you talk about, like, especially the words you use to describe, like, your active foam rolling in an army crawl position. Um, I, I guess. Or, you know,
1: like, some people who, like, um, they're in a public place. They're they're going back to work at the office. And they don't necessarily want to get on the floor and make a big scene just, like, foam rolling up and down. So, like, those people like to have the massage gun.
0: It's very convenient. There you go. See, i I got to be honest with you. I am... I haven't now that I've taken up foam rolling much more actively, I don't really see like the drawback that so many people do. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe this is a great sign <laughs> of me doing it wrong. Because I feel like it's not that bad. I um but I have one of those I have my my foam rolling thing. I forgot who I got it from. It was like one of those like, hey, we'll send it to you free if you Instagram post about it, or whatever. Yeah. Um it's one of those that has like kind of like it's shipped like a like a double hourglass. Yeah. So it's not just flat across, right? It's not is a it
1: roll recovery brand.
0: It's not roll recovery. Um, okay. I don't even, I, honestly, I have no idea. I bet you were sending me that free thing, company, I can't remember. <laughs> um, but it was, it, but, you know, I find it to be not that bad. Of course, I don't really use it a lot before runs. I usually use it, you know, like kind of like during TV time at night or whatever, or like, or like when my dog is finally calmed down.
1: You know what that tells me? That tells me that you are adamant about doing your foam rolling and your (laughs) self-massage because honestly, like if people do it and it's excruciating, it's like, you're not doing it enough. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then also, um, the other big thing too, is just making sure that you're not just rolling up and down on the foam roller and you're, you're, you know, rolling up and down. That's great. But you're searching for those painful trigger points. And then when you find those, just hold it, add sustained pressure or as I like to say, search and destroy. So you want to compress that trigger point, that painful spot, and then you, you really can add some like a mili- to You're it.
0: really taking a military approach to your foam rolling.
1: <laughs> I'm a little intense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think maybe this is part of the reason it doesn't hurt as much. I definitely am not taking a search and destroy methodology into this endeavor.
1: And you know what? Every time I say that, you will remember it. You will hear my voice every time you foam roll.
0: It will probably be followed by me by my voice saying a couple curse words if that's exactly what I'm mean. doing. Hopefully, there's not too many things I have to destroy in my body uh, to keep to keep from being healthy or to keep being healthy. I should say, well, I thank you so much for all of this information. You have so much more out there. If people want to learn more about you or the awesome things that you're doing, the the, the stuff that you're publishing and your videos, there's just so much stuff that you're putting out in the world. Where can they find that?
1: Um, so I started my own what I call my passion project. It's called runresilientlydpt.com. I also have an Instagram page, runresilientlydpt. So if you want to follow me more, whether you want to track my running journey or if you want to get some more injury prevention tips and tricks, um, you can follow my progress there.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Ayn, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for listening, for rating and reviewing the show. I never really pump up the whole rating and reviewing thing, but it does help. So occasionally I do like to bring it up. Um, If you could go on to Apple Podcasts and just rate and review the show, especially if you're a subscriber who's been listening for a long time, I would love for you to do that. It really does help the show in a lot of ways. I know it seems like a small little thing, but it has a huge impact. It really, really does. So thank you so much for listening. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, I'm amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point
1: of my change I'm trying to show this industry.